Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world and welcome to the back row from what I watched tonight. My name is Matt Hudson and this is the Retrospective Series, a series of shows where I talk about a film which I think is bloody good with somebody else who seems to think that film was bloody good as well. And joining me in the back row tonight, I'm very pleased to say, is a gentleman, a scholar and a beefcake from the Big Screen Book Club podcast. It's Joseph Kime. How are you, my friend? What a bloody intro. That was wonderful. Yeah, I'm very well, mate. Thank you very much for having me on. It's it's a delight. Nope. It's, uh, uh, we've, we've spoken before. I met Joseph along with my sessions co-host Luke um, at MCM Comic Con. Who were you dressed as, mate? That was, that was Poe Dameron for that day. That's it. Poe Dameron. But he had a Poe Dameron, we had Han Solo, we had Ray and a Jin Erso, I believe. And, and since then, we've kind of um, kept in contact as, as uh, uh, via film or Star Wars or whatever it might be. Uh, and I'm so glad that Joseph came on tonight to speak about this particular film. But before we talk about that, I've mentioned uh, the Big Screen Book Club podcast. You're also a bit of a writer. So uh, tell everyone out there what it is you get up to in the film world. All right. Well, for the most part, I'm a freelance journalist. I write for the likes of Fandom and Zavi and Vague Visages and that that kind of sect of film journalism. But I only recently started up the Big Screen Book Club, which is my podcast that celebrates the loving relationship between literature and film, along with Clarice Lockery, the head of film at The Independent. I'm really, really excited to get started with it. We've got our intro episode out at the moment, but our very first episode covering Louisa May Alcott and... Greta Gerwig's film of Little Women, which will be coming out at the end of this month. I'm very, very excited to get started and to sort of bolster that community that comes with a nice little book club. I'm very excited to listen because I very much enjoyed that film. I do think Eliza Scanlon was the best actress in that, and a lot of people tried to fight me on that. But um, we'll give all the social links out at the end. So if you do want to go and hear a a hunk and a babe talking about um, the link between literary and film, Go and do it because it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to hearing that, mate. So tonight I mentioned I've been excited to speak to Joseph about this one. Off air, I mentioned to Joseph that this is a film which I've been wanting to rewatch for so long, but haven't been able to find a reason to do it. Not because I don't like it. It's retrospectives. I love it. But you've got to be in the mood to watch it. And tonight we're talking about Under the Skin. So let's get the admin out of the way. Distributed by Studio Canal and A24 Internationally. It was released on March the 14th, 2014, after festival releases in 2013. It was directed by Jonathan Glazer, and it stars it stars Scarlett Johansson and a lot of other people who didn't know they were in the film. Uh, it was made for $13.3 million, and it only made $7.3 million back, uh, and nominated for the Best British Film at the BAFTAs. If you haven't seen Under the Skin, we are going to dive into every aspect of the film, so it's going to be spoiler-heavy. It's about an hour and 50 minutes long, Go buy the Blu-ray, stream it online, check it out. Come back and listen to Joseph and myself. But this is your final warning. Spoilers. Now, that's enough of me rambling on. You're all here to hear Joseph. What is it? Well, you're here to talk about why this film is so great. But what is it about this film then, mate, which resonates for you? Why is this up there for you in the pantheon of film? Because I think... I think Under the Skin might have been the very first film that I watched where I really couldn't piece together what it was that was going on and what it what the director's vision 
precisely mm-hmm. was. My relationship with film beforehand, had, while while I was writing a lot of stuff, um, I was sort of I was keeping myself in the sort of comic booky ballpark. I was writing reviews about the likes of Venom and John Wick and that kind of bracket of blockbuster cinema. But it took me until Under the Skin to realize just how experimental a film just in its genetic makeup how experimental that can actually be it's the first five minutes i remember watching it um for the very first time i was in i was at university it was in my second year house with about 11 other people i was sat there with a couple of other of my housemates and we just switched it on on a whim and we just watched it and sort of took in that very first five ten minutes and we were like i have no idea what is coming in the next almost two hours. It's such a strange and visceral experience that you can't quite piece together. And what I love about Under the Skin for the most part is I put it in that category of film where it's it's just an example of how freaky it can get. And it's one of those films where when you think about it afterwards and you really allow yourself and you give yourself to the process of filmmaking to try and fundamentally understand what it's all about. It's one of those films where you can't fathom how you'd write or produce a film like that. Some of those visuals are so strange and out there and so devoid of everything else I've ever seen that I just can't imagine anybody putting pen to paper and conceiving these ideas, let alone actually making them work and developing those visuals and putting it all together in a narrative that actually works. I mean, at the risk of sounding like a plagiarist, I'm going to, I'm going to take the term that everybody seems to use with this film, which is haunting. And it really is for the mo for everything you just mentioned, mm. the fact that somebody managed to, you know, come up with, well, for like I said, the words first, a story, uh, cause it is based on a novel, but how Jonathan Glazer has taken that and adapted it into a visual medium. Some of the, visuals in this film and not just like the obvious ones including people but some of the more well the far the much more surrealistic moments are just they are very hard to comprehend at times like what is going on and it is there, there is a there is a story just you can there is some there is a message and a theme behind this it's not just um aimless one hour 50 minutes of just artistic uh shots there's a lot going on but I've the first thing the first time I ever saw this I was I I did really like it I stick stand to this day what I thought then was I could imagine a lot of people would watch this and think this is shit and I can I can understand why people would think that fine you know it's not it certainly isn't going to be to everybody's appeal or everybody's taste but like you've just said there there's something going on with this and it hooks you it gets you I mean I saw this not long after it came out, uh, which is what, seven years ago now. When did you see it? Did you see it uh, upon its release? No, I um, I came back to it. It was on a streaming service at the time. I'm not sure which one it was, but it was only a couple of years ago now. So it was, it was post-release. But like yeah. you mentioned at the start when you spoke about the box office earnings, I honestly, as much as I love this film, there is... I expected this film to be a complete bomb just because of how, how truly out there and visceral and strange that it is. I can't imagine the general populace sort of rushing to cinemas to see this one. Yeah, it's, it's bold. It's a bold example of filmmaking from a very bold filmmaker. Jonathan Glazer isn't the most introverted man in film. This was his last feature film. He's done a lot of shorts and he's done some 
wonderful adverts and some quite controversial adverts as well, television adverts. He's not a man who shies away from his own vision or what he believes he, he, he wants to put across. And look, Scarlett Johansson at the time, she she was always a household name anyway. You know, she'd been in Lost in Translation. Obviously, she'd been in The Avengers beforehand. So you see a film under the skin, Scarlett Johansson's in it. You know, imagine the people who went to watch this thinking it was something else. They would have been in for an absolute treat. And what you said about the first five minutes, I have it on my notes here as well, is that for the first five minutes of the film, you wouldn't be forgiven for thinking, what the hell is going on? First, And it takes about 15 minutes before anyone actually speaks properly. But for the first five minutes, it's some like abstract, surreal images. Um, and, then we, and then we finally meet the female. Nobody gets a name in this film. There are no, well, named characters per se. You look in the credits, nobody has a name. It's just the actor who portrayed them. And I love that about this film. So I reckon we just dive into it now. It, usually we talk about favourite moments, favourite sequences and scenes, and we absolutely still can do this. Under the Skin it almost feels like a different conversation. It, there are scenes and moments which I can pull out and say, that is incredible. But on some of the other shows, retrospective series we've done, you can be like, oh, remember that scene when somebody came in and did this and they said that and they did this. This is more of a mood. This is an atmosphere. This is just an atmosphere this film is. So over to you then, Joseph. No pressure then. When when you think of Under the Skin, <laughs> what's like that kind of one thing that first jumps out at you as uh, symptomatic, symptomatic of this film? Symptomatic. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get exactly what you mean with the sort of, it very much lacks the Hollywood bombast, but it's... It's it. You're quite right in that it's a very atmospheric and moody film. In terms of images that sort of jump out to me, it's always every single time I think of this film, I see her, the the protagonist, the lead, the female, walking away while she's while she's luring her prey in, and that that sort of shimmery, silvery floor that her victims sort of sink into. It's that image Dude. that that perfectly captures exactly what this character is almost written and designed for is the perfect sort of visual representation of, of how this film uses its protagonist almost as a predator in a very silky, erotic way without making her seem like some kind of vicious animal. If that makes sense, it's all very sleek and premeditated. It's that image that I see whenever I hear the hear under the skin at all. That room terrifies me. Simply, yeah, as I said, a black sheeny floor. And again, like you said, it, it's Scarlett Johansson, who is one of the most beautiful women on the planet. And in and in this film, they've changed her up. They've got black hair. And she doesn't play, and she said it herself, she isn't playing the role to be sexy. This isn't meant to be her, you know, playing some kind of nymphomaniac who lures men in. Notice there's something under the skin. There's something going on behind the eyes. We'll get. I'm sure we'll talk about eyes as we go on, but those scenes as well, because you're following the guys and they think, well, this is my lucky day. And the way that it's just the way everything is framed and composited on screen. You've got Scarlett is dead center walking backwards. The way the camera pans up her as she walks and how everything, everything seems I don't know, well, robotic in the, in the way she moves and uh, acts. Whereas behind her, there's the guy kind of like fumbling his top off and everything really haphazardly. And it, like you said, it's the silkiness of it all, the silkiness. And while she's walking, the guys are unknowingly descending into this the abyss, the pool beneath them. I absolutely love how they managed to get that, pull that off. The effect of them, of the guys 
walking or entering the pool whilst, you know, in their eyes, still walking towards the woman, how they managed to pull that off. I, I did read how they, how they did it in terms of keeping the, the water ripples down and that, but it, there's something haunting is a word we're going to use in visceral and otherworldly a lot, but there's something about that because you, they, they walk into these derelict, horrible looking houses and then they're in these dark black rooms is Joseph? Is it? Is this a spaceship? Is it? Uh, is it really happening? Is is that just a part of? Is this an illusion? What what's going on? I'll tell you what I, I think of the way that they portray the the way she consumes her prey. Whether it's you know a spaceship or a or a TARDIS esque space yeah. in which space doesn't quite exist in the way that we recognize it. I think fundamentally the way that the film presents her as a character and the way that she's presented as something that's so otherworldly and something so beyond human comprehension. I think that room helps to accentuate that because of the way that you can't physically understand how it works. And I think that's part of the magic of it. If you try to debunk it and try and sort of crowbar science into it, I think there's a lot of potential to lose what's happening in front of you. I think that this space, this sort of, this hollow, horrible, open, empty room with this, with this Mm -hmm. water that she's able to walk across. It's something that if you, if you sort of dig into it, you're going to lose the magic of it. So whatever it is, whatever it does end up to be, I can't help but feel like it's irrelevant because the way that she takes her prey, it's not something that's important to the plot. The fact is that she takes them and that's it. I think that the the way that the space operates adds to her character and whatever it is that her race is, it's a creation of theirs, whether it's something that has imbued an already existing space, whether the house that the room is built in is a creation of this race, whoever they may be, or if it was already there and they put it in. I don't know how it works, but quite frankly... I think the fundamentals of it are so unimportant. It's the the visual way that these men are consumed is the only important thing. And it's so beyond human comprehension how an area like this can work that I think the visuals complement so well that make the film feel so, as you say, otherworldly. It's really out there and something that feels like it's too far beyond for people to actually get. And I think that's part of the magic of the film, to be honest. Yep. I think you're right. Not everything necessarily needs to be explained. We live in a, we live in a society where things need to be explained (laughs) quite a lot, but the most unsettling thing about under the skin is into, I'm I'm not going to reference a book because I haven't read it. In terms of Jonathan Glazier's film, he he doesn't feel the need to explain anything. You know, nothing is is like necessarily explained here. Like you say, what's going on in the room? Could could they have had some kind of scene or visual which uh, which, which kind of gave us an understanding of what's going on? Probably, but they don't feel like they need to. This is just happening because, like you like you say, whatever race or alien species Scarlett Johansson's character belongs to, this is how they do things. That's all you need to know. This is how they do things. They will harvest these men. They will turn their innards into mulch. It goes down a conveyor belt, and that's all we need to. Know. That's it. Where does it go? Who knows? We mm. don't know. And that, and I like that. I like the fact that he didn't spend like you didn't waste time 
telling us things that we don't need to know. Would it have made this film any better if we knew where the blood and innards of these guys were going? No, it could have ruined. It could have. It once you look beyond the veil, sometimes things can be a bit disappointing. Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, that moment in particular, where where the sort of the viscera is headed down the the conveyor belt, and the way that the human bodies sort of just pop, it's so grotesque, and it really, really sticks with you. It's a really horrible image that I remember when we first watched it. It was it was very much like a oh, yep, it still is now. Yeah, definitely. It got me. It got me when I was watching it recently as well. It's um, it's an incredibly striking and horrific image. But all that you need to know is that they are being taken for some reason, whether it be their viscera is food or fuel or whatever it is that it might be. Yep. The only important thing is that our lead character is doing it, and of that very fundamental fact is what fuels the rest of the film's story and the rest of her journey. Yeah. And that, that potentially is Jonathan Glazer telling you what's going on. Cause before that we see Scar, Scar Joe, we see Scarlett Johansson's cat, the female cruising around Glasgow in her van, picking up guys. And then the next shot is usually the, an empty passenger seat with Scarlett Johansson driving the van. Still, we don't know what's going on. This is, this is almost like Jonathan Glazer saying, right, this is what's happening. They go into this dark uh, black void of a room they fall into they they go into a pool. They're naked. They have their bod their innards sucked out, and they go into it and they go down a conveyor belt. Is that good enough for you now? That's almost <laughs> like uh, his way of explaining it without doing it, and it's just another way of making us think this. You know, this what the hell is going? And I love that uh, film is as you know, and our listeners know, and this isn't anything new coming from me, but you know, film has to make you feel something. Whether you enjoy it, whether you hate it, whether you laugh, cry, you're angry, frustrated, whatever, it has to make you feel something. Under the Skin is one of those films that absolutely does that. Every time I watch this, I feel something, and it's never kind of, and it's never empty. It's never an empty feeling. And the last time I watched it, which was the other night for this episode, I was just on edge. It doesn't matter how many times I see this, I was on edge. And one of the scenes that makes me feel on edge isn't one of the more visceral. Um, surrealistic scenes it's the uh, the one that a lot of people remember and it's the one involving the young baby on the beach mm. that makes me feel so sad and it make that made me that makes me feel sick to the stomach when obviously the the guy's gone to save his wife from drowning and um the guy from the czech republic's also gone to help didn't work out the baby's on the beach crying scarlett Anson knocks the guy out goes and, and goes to um consume him the baby's still crying the dude on the motorcycle which i assume is like her the got the her boss almost goes back later in the evening the baby's still crying he he ignores her and the tide's coming in and i watched that yesterday and i got so moved by it just like the idea i've, I've got a four-year-old in the other rumors just the idea of just this little baby innocent not knowing what's going on wants his mum and dad the tide's coming in it's dark he doesn't know what's happened to them he doesn't know what's going on and I watched it and it hit me. You can't see, but like right there, I was like, "This is horrible to watch. Like, absolutely horrible." And then we find out the the uh, news report on the radio the next morning. But that's one of the things which I remember every time and every time, dude, that hits me hard. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a tough scene to watch, even just on its very like very core level. But I think the yeah. 
the way that it works in the film is actually quite clever in that it it shows that our leads sort of lack of humanity is the only thing that's caused this because she doesn't quite yet understand human relationships and the way that they interact and what is important. She doesn't really understand her new world, um, which even if she did, she would, she might have been able to sort of interject as we see a little bit later down the line, she is capable of kindness, but at that very stage, it's just a little bit too soon. And without, without that fundamental human urge to help or to do something that's that's the way that things will pan out and it's a horrible situation in the first place it's quite an upsetting scene even if she weren't there to interject but because she is it's even worse because you know that there is potential that things could go another way but you just know they won't I think we, we we don't ever find out anything about the motorcyclist necessarily, but when he goes back later on in the evening to pack up the guy's tent and that, and starts walking towards the baby, I think that maybe was Glazer's way of trying to lull you in to make you think, well, maybe this guy's got an ounce of humanity about him and he'll, you know, sort the kid out. Don't even look at him, just picks the stuff up and walks away. And it's that unsettling, horrible sinking feeling that whoever these people are, we know they're not human, but we also know they are, devoid of any kind of compassion or feeling or empathy or anything and that is just one of the scariest parts for me and like you say we know that later on in the film the female she um she starts to kind of the cracks start to show she's assimilated within humanity enough now to realize that these people aren't all that bad she you know she's starting starting to see the good in humanity and she maybe starts to develop emotional empathy and that's another thing about this film, which I love that they didn't, they show it, but they don't explicitly state it. If that makes any sense. We can see by towards the end of the film, she has changed. She's changing her perception of humanity, but there isn't kind of, there isn't like a big scene or a big switch where she makes it obvious. And she kind of, where, where they look at the camera and wink and we're like, no, now she's the good. She's good. Now. I like how everything still has that horrible, silent menace to it. Even at, towards the end of the film, when she seems to be, you know, finding the good out there. Mm, I think the the way that that works so well is down to the film's incredible balance between naturalism and surrealism. It's the way that even though her space where she consumes her prey is so strange and out there and beyond the way that we sort of perceive the world and how we can actually understand it, it's set on the backdrop of Glasgow. And I don't know if it, if it, it's you in the same way but as a sort of uk native it feels incredibly like recognizable it's like we've been in shopping centers like the one that she peruses through and we've seen the claire's and the h samuels and mm-hmm. all the works and it makes it's it feel Greek, so much Primark, asda yeah boy it's like it's it just adds to that naturalism and how grimly real it is because glasgow is quite it's presented as quite a gray and bleak city with a lot of sort of cardboard cut out men all over the place. And it's, it doesn't feel like a very lively city, despite how many people are wondering about it. And I think it's the, it's, it's that alongside the presentation of this character and her boss character and her place of place. We'll call it a place of work, I guess. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's a really brilliant contrast with such strange visuals, especially at the start and when she consumes her prey and the naturalism of the familiar streets 
that make it so very real and unsettling and eerie, I think. Yeah, the the muted colour palette that um, Glazer has adopted and the cinematography was by Daniel Landin that they have collaborated to create here. They could have, you know, Glasgow is an urban landscape. There, there, are, there are lovely parts of it, but they choose to focus on like the grimier, grittier sides of it. And there is that muted colour palette, but I never once thought it looked ugly. You always run the risk of going of showing the urban side too much and it and it kind of lacks any kind of charm. There's still something about that. And I think, like you say, it's when when you mesh that with the more out there surreal moments and the the bursts of colour, the two the two somehow go hand in hand together. But the natural the way they use the naturalism is wonderful. And talking of obviously a natural approach, if you the way that Glazer shot this film and with the non actors, the men. What are your thoughts on that? Because for those who aren't aware, who have seen the film but weren't a boy, the majority of people that Scarlett Johansson was driving around trying to pick up had no idea that they were being filmed. There was hidden cameras. They didn't know who she was. Their reactions and them given directions and whatnot is authentic, which is also quite unsettling. But on that, uh, obviously, we'll mention how, you know, how they came across. But what are your thoughts on that kind of voyeuristic approach to filmmaking? I think, especially the way that it's sort of, it's accomplished here, I think it's brilliant. I think it perfectly accomplishes exactly what Glazer was trying to do and making it feel so real. You can hire actors to to do stuff like that and to read off a script, but really there's very tiny like facial tweaks and sort of vocal flair that you can't get out of an actor, I think. Obviously, it brings into question sort of the ethics of making films like that. And I saw re-watching the trailer that um, one publication regarded Glazer as a almost like a second coming of Kubrick. And Ooh. I was like, when when you consider sort of the ethical like conversation that comes with using people in your film that don't really know that you're in your film yeah. and the ethics of kubrick's filmmaking i think it's it's pretty fair a comparison to be honest but in in the execution i do think it is excellent in this film it's it really brings that extra naturalism to the naturalistic moments that it needs to bounce off the surrealism of the very big ideas that the film has had you had doesn't matter how good the actors are if you know their actors doing it it kind of loses some sheen but the the beauty of this is that you, I think you'd be hard pressed for certain times to know who was an actor and who wasn't. There are some which, looking back, you can be like, right, the guy talking about Asda, I don't think he had an, a clue what was going on. But some of them, you wouldn't be too sure who was who was there and not. And again, disclaimer: that once these guys, these guys did later find out that they were being filmed, and if they wanted to be in the film, they'd have to agree, obviously, to later like, be tackle out naked later on in the film. <laughs> if they didn't want to, then their scenes were were cut. So they were eventually given the uh, the deal and what was happening. But um, so about about the men and how she goes around picking them up because that's like the crux of the story. Is you know she's an alien apparently like, in a loosest possible terms who picks up men and harvests them for an unknown reason. So um, about about the guys in, I mean, you know, let's get let's go on to that and how she goes around picking them up and what she what she sees. How did you? How did you react to that like the first time you saw it and like subsequently knowing what she's going to be doing with them? Mm, I was quite surprised by it actually. Um, it's an, it's an interesting way of framing a sort of predator prey reaction because obviously 
you'd expect she's quite an innocent playing character, at least when she's trying to lure men in. So you'd expect the predator prey dynamic to be kind of mirrored against her. Um, but it's, there's one, there's one aspect of it that I think works really well. And that's that they gave her character a British accent and to drive around Glasgow and pick up Glaswegian men. It's so it's, it gives an air of sort of not from around here, but familiar enough. So inherently it seems like she's lost and it, it adds a little bit of sort of, I don't know what the word is. It's authenticity. Yeah, that's the one. It gives her a little bit more authenticity and it gives her plight a little bit more believability. And I really like the way that it's handled in very human conversations. And even when she asks irrelevant questions and when she might even be a little bit sus from the get go, you can tell that she's got men snared because they second, they get in the van, they're eyeing her up and they're, they're they're using her sexuality against them as a weapon. So even if there was any reasonable suspicious activity that she was pulling, they would have no idea. No, you're right, mate. It's the uh, the way that she speaks to them grabbed me as well because at the beginning at the beginning of the film, we we hear somebody reciting phonics. Basically, it's like what I do with my with my daughter. Ah, you hear that, and you're like, okay, some. This is somebody's almost being fed sounds and syllables so they can, uh, like AI to create speech for them. And the way she speaks to the guys in the van is very kind of simplistic. Like, do you think I'm pretty? Like, oh, you're gorgeous. Good. You have a nice smile yourself. Good. Good. It's very kind of like monosyllable syllable a lot, uh, a lot of the time or very kind of robotic speech. And I really, that got me as well. That unsettled me because as a viewer, we know what's going on. The guys in the van don't. It's that kind of relationship we have as well. But I like the way that she actually kept that that robotic speech the whole time. And also, as your boy, uh, Eamon Jacobs, will attest, her British accent is a lot better here than it was in The Prestige. Let's just get, <laughs> let's just get the elephant out of the room there right now. He wasn't pleased by that. Um, but yeah, the way she interacts with them as well, it's it's amazing that none of them kind of picked up on it any sooner because she's got such an unnatural way of speaking hasn't she mm, i mean when you think about how they didn't quite pick up on it if we're talking like post avengers i'm genuinely surprised that i mean you gotta think that it took ages to film because so many people she'd be like do you want to lift and they go oh you're out of avengers it's quite you a imagine. shock that yeah oh my god it must have taken forever to find somebody who didn't recognize scarlett johansson but would still be so sexually attracted to scarlett johansson that they get in a van with her while she was speaking in such a monosyllabatic way and and it speaks to um like you say about the predator prey uh relationship switch because obviously sadly in this world you'd expect it to be the other way around you'd expect it to be a male trying to pick up a female that is sadly the way of the world so the the roles are flipped here, which kind of like then uh, subconsciously adds another layer of menace because you're like, we're not, this is, we're not used to seeing this. It's usually the other way around. So there's that side of it as well, which, um, which got me, but um, anything else in my, obviously we've got a whole film's worth here to go on, but <laughs> was there any other kind of sequences, which just you have to mention now? I think I've got to mention the, the visuals that come along with, her journey into almost the Scottish countryside. Some of the shots 
from that point on. Because obviously a lot of the film is quite grey and a little bit washed out, but that mm-hmm. really complements the huge, beautiful vistas that you see when her, her almost boss, when he's firing down those lanes on his motorbike at obscene speeds. Yes. Incredible, gorgeous mountains behind him and the short winding roads that he zips down. It's just, it's a masterclass of cinematography. It makes the world just generally speaking, while Glasgow is quite bustling, but a little bit devoid of character, the countryside feels much emptier, but it has a lot more sort of natural character. I think it's it's a really nice contrast to show the journey that the protagonist is on to try and find the human in her. And I think, I mean, it's the best place for her to go to the countryside, to be fair. But the 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 shots of of these huge, gorgeous vistas so perfectly complement the direction that the narrative takes. It's not a bad uh, tourist advert for the Scottish countryside or Highlands either, is it? To be fair, um, yeah. No, you're you're right. It's if she wants to get away, like the guy from the Czech Republic said on the beach. She's like, "Why, you know, where are you from? Why are you here? But why here?" And he's like, "Well, it's it's nowhere." And it's almost like she's adopted that mentality. It's like, well, to to get away from things, I need to go to essentially nowhere where there's nowhere really, no one really about. And she goes to this this small town and. You see her trying to fit in with with, with humankind, human race, like eating a, a black forest gato, which I'm telling you something right now, that looks incredible. Oh, I doesn't it just? There. I love a black forest gato, mate. I'm tiramisu, but I do love a black forest gato, <laughs> mate. Um, yeah, I, it, it, from here on, there's, there's a couple of scenes obviously before, which I think are stunning, but like the scene of her hitting the mist, as soon as she gets out and stands in the mist, just that something about her in the mist and then we get these uh first person pov shots and then she just walks she just walks and even in the cafe you've got the beautiful highland scenery in the background and it's just so very excuse me so very quaint the whole thing like when she's walking around these uh villages it's it's scarlett johansson who we know is the film star the hollywood film star walking around these very kind of uh, very quaint British countryside uh, villages. It, it's almost got that kind of juxtaposition, which seems wrong as well. Another unsettling thing, but yeah, that from the from the moment she decides to basically give up harvesting men, the film takes on a a different spin, and then she eventually finds out that hey, maybe not all humans are as nice as I thought they were. But she has a relationship with, or quite unquote relationship with a guy who she meets on a bus, or she meets at the bus stop originally. And um, she goes back to his because he he wants to help her. How did you, how did you think? What did you think about that relationship and how that played out and the sort of aspects surrounding it? I think yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting one because obviously as she becomes a little bit more isolated as she almost abandons her primary directive when she has nowhere to go and nothing to do and no idea of what's going on. Obviously, she would need some kind of human help, especially if she's trying to assimilate with human culture and Mm -hmm. their way of life i think their relationship is sort of it begins pitying and it starts to get a little bit more sincere in that the way he he takes her around the shops and gets her all the supplies he lets her stay they go for a little they go for a little wander through the countryside and off to a little castle which (laughs) i thought was actually it was actually quite nice sort of soak in the sights of scotland it's um it's quite nice and i think 
it's quite a bare bones relationship when you think about it. If even if he was pursuing it romantically in the first place, it's quite simplistic, and it's just you can stay here if you want, you can eat this if you want, we can walk here if you want. But I think that's exactly what the character needed. It's such a very a sort of base level human thing. Just eat, sleep, get out of the house. And yeah. that's she she learns the things that she needs to learn with him. So whether whether he's good for her in a romantic sort of way, he's he's at least good for her to help her learn the very basics of human existence. Yeah, and I, I I never got any kind of menacing vibes from him either. I always thought he was kind of he was genuine. You know, whether there was any kind of romantic interest to start with, which hey, look, there probably well there was, but I never felt like like when he took her back to his house and he made well, I went to Nisa like a lad, and then he <laughs> he, he makes her, he has her watch Tommy Cooper with beans on toast, and he when, when when she goes to bed, he doesn't like stand there staring at her per se or like have any kind of unwanted advances he, you know here's your bed in close the door off he goes so there isn't any kind of like menace i found from him and they go to like I said, they go to the castle he ca- he carries her over a puddle like a true gent he, he he helps her down the stairs when she's struggling so if she she's getting more and more about humanity just from this one guy and then they obviously then then they decide to to go go for it they make they're making out and they're gonna have sex and again, even then, I didn't feel like that was any kind of... There was nothing forceful about it. It seemed natural by that point. Mm. And then we get another interesting moment with her during this because, obviously, for those who know about sex, you've got to put something in somewhere. He's not able to do that. And and she jumps up and she, and she starts inspecting herself. And that's a really... That I found it to be a really interesting scene because it then opens up more questions. It's like, was this just an, a reaction to a new sensation? Does, does she have... Um, genitalia do you know what's that i found that to be really interesting as well and another little look into her you don't find anything about her but it's just one little crack that we find out about her Mm, i think it it that moment sort of plays into the idea that she was not born i guess but created for one sole purpose and even though she weaponized her sexuality when she was sort of ensnaring men it wasn't something she'd ever really be able to see out because she exists almost exclusively to lure in these men and use them for whatever they use them for she isn't expected to have any kind of genuine sexual contact because she's not expected to have any meaningful contact with humans at all and i think that that plays into the, the act of rebellion that she makes when she when she almost throws in the towel and tries to escape. And the fact that she knows that she has to escape is telling of how it's this has happened before and it's not the way that she is supposed to exist. Because obviously we know that it's happened before because as the film opens and the, the very strange visuals pass over, we find that the motorcycle man pulls out a version of our protagonist from a lake and then then there's two versions of that same protagonist with one almost not not dead because we see a tear roll down her face but almost deactivated oh. as oh. yeah as um as she's stripped for her clothes so she can give it another go basically it's quite haunting because we know that we don't quite know how she got in that lake but it gives the impression that this process and our protagonist's 
reluctance to keep doing what they're doing without knowing what they're doing. It's, it's incredibly cyclical and it implies that this is something that human form creatures, whether they are human or not, will try to assimilate in cultures and worlds of our own, just inherently by nature, because they need something to latch onto, latch onto. And without, you know, without the, the power that they have by ensnaring the men that they do, they're, they're useless, basically. Well, if if you move to another another country for a, a, a prolonged period of time, sometimes you start to pick up an accent, maybe from where they're from. These aliens are clear, or this species are clearly uh, hyper uber intelligent. If with that exposure to humanity, it, you know, it's no surprise that they would pick up some form of humanity, whether that was emotional, say empathy, whatever. You know, it's it, it stands to reason that this would happen, and like you say. There's clearly something cyclical about this. The opening of the film shows that of that. Again, here's the H word, that haunting shot of, you know, the, 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 the lady, the, the woman laid out being stripped by Scarlett Johansson's character. And we think, oh, she's, she's dead. And, but no, a, a single tear rolls down her cheek. And that's, you know, what, what happened to her afterwards? That's another thing I didn't, I kind of think about. It's like, well, we see against that bright, like shockingly white background, they're almost kind of mm. to a point like silhouetted at certain points against it. What happens to the other woman, the other lady? What we know what happens to her, and, and that also is a, is a nice parallel to later on when Scarlett Johansson's character leads them into the the jet black surroundings. You know, it's completely then mm. um, inverted the colours, and yeah, I that's that is um, that is something which I find slightly unsettling as as soon as you as soon as you begin to show any kind of humanity he's coming for you that the the motorcyclist is and he, and he shows in this he's looking for her she is uh, she escapes into the woods so you say she escapes there's a dude there and he's you know he's just he's just out there in his orange fluorescent jacket just hanging around fine here you go he's going to tell you what 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 not to do and he ends up as we turn out he ends up basically he ends up being a rapist um mm. And being the reason why she ends up dying in the end of the film. Spoilers, by the way, but the the end of the film. Let's let's mention that then, I guess, because we've just spoken about it. We find out obviously that she is uh, uh, under the skin is this species, and it becomes this very very surreal imagery, which I know will not work for everybody. But if you've made it this far into the film, I'm willing to bet that the film does work for you. If if the ending doesn't work for you, God knows what you thought of the rest of it then. But um, <laughs> that final that final um, sequence, I wouldn't call it a final third, but the final work sequence when when she meets this guy in the woods to the mo- to the very end shot. How how did do you think that's that kind of ended off the film nicely for you or did you find it disappointing or I didn't find it disappointing but I didn't particularly find it nice to be fair <laughs> it's um yeah it's... I've seen that happier endings <laughs> yeah but the I suppose it makes sense in the context of the film and it, the film fundamentally as I see it is a film about what it takes and what it means to be human and. Obviously, she's introduced to people that she has reason to care about. And of course, there are people that aren't deserving of that, that same acknowledgement. But it's the, the fact that she mm-hmm. starts killing people. She is lured in by, by the humanity of people and their culture and the way that they 
work with each other and the way that they work with what they've got and to then be killed by an incredibly inhumane person who is the absolute antithesis of what she was seeking to be. It's almost poetic in a way because obviously it it gives you that final punch of obviously not everybody is worth it. However, humanity fundamentally as it is, is enough to bring her around and to bring her into wanting to assimilate with this, with this race of people. It's, it's quite, it's obviously quite haunting and it's really quite hard to watch, especially as in his attempt to sort of mount her, I guess. And it's when he reveals not only to him, but to us, what she really is. The fact that he still goes to kill it afterwards is so remarkably insidious. Obviously it's, you know, I, it's not something to expect either way, but Mm -hmm. it's still incredibly haunting and twisted and a display of what humanity can be capable of, but not a point of reference for what humanity is. And it's, it's, there's, there's a tragedy about being brought to an end by the humans that you sought to find good in. But I think it's telling of the, of a real human experience. Well, yeah, she, she escaped the, the one man who kind of, who seemed to care for her and he's doing the right things for her. And then she escaped into the woods and ultimately met this guy. We'll call him Mm. this guy who was on the other end. If you, if you can have a spectrum, he was, he was the worst humanity I had to offer. He, he, he will lure you in. He'll manipulate you by, with a helpful, friendly demeanor. Oh yeah. You know, it gets a bit wet in the summer, but be careful. You you know, follow the tracks and you'll be fine. This is in this. Turns out that actually, you know, lull you into that false sense of security when really all he wants to do is assault you. And then when he, and then, you know, when he finds out, yes, look, he finds out this isn't, alien species far beyond comprehension is that lovecraftian um ode but there's there's no whether it's fear whether it's panic whether it's anger whatever it might be his first instinct is to set it on fire and kill it so that is truly shocking and i forgot about that moment i haven't seen seen this film for a couple of years before i rewatched it so certain things i'd forgotten about and i'd forgotten about just how abrupt that ending is it's Mm. It, we, they're kind of almost like the ethereal beauty of having this uh, exposed alien looking at the mask, the face that has been taken on, and it's mm. got a really silent, so, oddly beautiful moment, which is then abruptly just ended by this by a, a by a human dousing her in petrol and setting it alight. It's such a shocking ending, and I mean. I tried to find the positives in most things in terms of endings. And I was like, well, you know, did, did the motorcyclist didn't find her. So will he ever know her fate? Did, did he know, did he know she dies? Does she, does he, is he going to live the rest of his existence thinking that she got away or she assimilated? But we saw from the beginning of the film that, you know, he found somebody, he found the, the previous um, female in a lake. So he obviously has a way of finding these people. So I'm assuming that he'll eventually find the uh, the charred remains of the female and the cycle will begin again. So 
I'm not entirely sure that there's anything really positive to take out of the ending of this film, unless unless you saw it in a different way. Um, potentially. I mean, it's it's an incredibly bleak ending, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of the raw sadness comes from you following this character, and obviously they were killing a bunch of men at the start, but they start to understand the way that humans work and they start to learn compassion and sort of the very human way. And you want for them to succeed and you want for them to get there and for it to be cut so short right at the end by a very insidious act and a really sort of heinous action. It's quite upsetting, but at the very least, there is some semblance of hope that the that cycle might have come to an end with that because we don't quite know if they need the the body of the female to recreate a new one or if it's just sort of a means of gathering resource from them in, in way of their clothing. It's it's a really upsetting ending not just because of what happens to the protagonist but because of what it implies about humanity and how there's always there's always evils it's 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 just a it's an unfortunate fact and something grim that we have to face as people and there it will not always be sunshine and roses but it it's hard to to pin a positive to it without i mean if you if you're able to see beyond the ending when you reflect on it afterwards, you do get the feeling that the film was about what it is to be a human and learning and cooperating and assimilating and being one with a wider race, whether it be, you know, culture or clubs or whatever it is. It's it's, you can identify from that ending that human connection as in way of kindness and in way of comfort is something that is essential to the human experience. And that sort of selfishness and violence and the grim action that comes to end her life is the one thing that really threatens humanity as a race and a people. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. I saw it as a, it's almost like a helicopter view on humanity. It's, this is what you can expect. It's almost like a snapshot into the lives of humans. You know, like you say, mm. you've got, you've got, when she's driving around, you get to see what's going on with life. You get to see people chatting, having a good time um, in the streets, whether that's in Greg's or the two ladies just talking with their kids. You get the moment where the group of lads just decide to uh, jump the van and try, uh, try to get in, basically try to smash mm. the van and get in. So we're seeing that you've got the dude who who buys her a rose. Again, it's another sign. It's another uh, step along her path of realizing that you know maybe you know what what am I doing? What why am I doing the acts that I do? You know, there's this is an inherently good gesture for no reason whatsoever. Uh, and obviously, the blood in the hand from the cellar as well, and then she falls over in the street as well, and she's helped up. And it is it is an absolutely a a look at humanity in varying ways and varying spectrum sides of the spectrum. And it, 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 it does end up being a bleak ending, but the way you've put it then in the sense that, you know, maybe this has broken the cycle. It does have that glimmer of hope at the end. So you're right. It's not a, it's not a total washout at the end. It may seem like that, 
But if you look under the skin, if you will, <laughs> then you'll see that there maybe there was something there for us to cling onto. And in in a film which demands like ultimate patience, this isn't a film where you can watch and you know every now and then like check a bit of Instagram or or or, or maybe, even something as silly as getting up to get a drink during it. You, it demands your attention, and I don't think if you do any of those things during it, this film isn't going to hit you the same way. And therefore you may look at the ending as potentially just, Oh, well, you know, she got killed and that's the end of it. It's a film which demands your absolute attention. And I love a film like that. And that's one of the, that's one of the main reasons why I love under the skin so much is that whilst you can watch it and kind of have that feeling of what the bloody hell is going on. I like that. I don't. It's nice in this day and age to have a daring film like this, where it, nothing is really spelled out to you, and you're you you are part of the journey. You are just an uh, an atom, an iode in this atmosphere, in this feeling that the director wants you to have, and mm. you're swept along for the journey, man. And there are so many other wonderful moments in this film to mention as well. But I just wanted that's that's obviously for me one of the reasons why I love this film is just it just envelops you throughout the whole thing. And yeah, I found, I mean, I found the ending like a, well, like a punch to the stomach, but you have kind of, you have swayed me somewhat now with the idea that the cycle has been broken. And I think in a film like this, I think it's nice to have that hope at the end. I think. Mm. I mean, if it's, it's the only real hope you can draw out of it, to be honest. I mean, it's so, (laughs) it's so incredibly bleak come the end, but I tell you what, I will, I'll circle back on that um, that rose scene that you mentioned because I think I interpret it in a little yes. bit different, a little bit of a different way. So the you you sort of you like you said you attributed it with sort of human kindness in that way. I think yes. the, the way that I read it personally was it was an extension of male attitudes to women, especially in the the sort of early twenty tens in Scotland. Mm-hmm. It, I I read it as uh, just a male sort of almost jeering woy woy gesture um, as a way that men and women interact in the modern UK. But I think the blood on the seller's hand, for me at the very least, I read it as a way for the protagonist to read human beings as much more than they are on the surface and when she meets them. Because when the way that she is built and designed and the reason that she exists is to take men in regardless of who they are and even though she asks them before they get in the van you know are you single do you have any family all the all the works it doesn't ever seem like that's a genuine factor that would keep her from consuming men and i think the blood on the seller's hand makes her think that there is a reason that that is there the seller has done something to his hand on these roses which is a the end of a very long string of events that have occurred throughout his life. And it gives her the impression that humans are a little bit more sort of densely packed than she initially expected, or she is at least been taught to know it was, um, it was because obviously what we know that she obviously after rewatching it, we know that she's, she's going to make that change and something is going to, is going to change in her head that convinces her that this isn't mm-hmm. right for her. But for me, that's one of the very first moments where she sees that humans are not exactly who she sees on the surface. And when she bumps into them on the street, that's not exactly who that person is. Uh, yeah, I, I can't, 
argue with that, mate. It's like I said, that's the beauty of this film as well. Is that I've seen it one way at this particular moment, and you've come up with another another eloquent way of looking at it. And who's to say either of them are wrong? Who's to say mm. either of them are right as well? Which is the beauty of it. And if if that is the intention, then that makes total sense as well. And I think you're right as well that that may be the first instance where she kind of starts to she you know something clocks in whatever is behind her eyes something clocks and you could look at i mean i don't necessarily subscribe to it but you could look at the the moment where she's looking you know just like dead staring ahead in her van the morning after she has um devoured the dude from the czech republic uh, and the radio report is on the news the news report sorry is on the radio wrong way around and she's just sitting there just taking it in is she uninterested is this like an admission of some sort where she's absorbing the information or, or is it just i don't because i don't believe that anything is in this film for no reason i think everything mm. there is a reason for every moment in this film so what is the reason that she's just sitting there taking in this news report could it be that she's on a basic level understanding that this is this isn't a good this isn't a good thing and whether her actions attributed to not or not but the fact that there is an announcement of this kind of news you know, what you know this is humanity telling other people that something bad has happened and they should feel something about it i mean people could look at that and think well maybe that was the first chink but the rose instance makes makes more sense to me but um well just on that news report i mean again i don't think there are anything's in this film for no reason anything in your head making you think yeah maybe maybe that was a Maybe that set the cogs turning in her head that, you know, humans aren't inherently bad or uh, empty. I th- yeah, I think you might be onto something there in that I trust that Glazer wouldn't have just put it in for sake of the audience. Because the way that the film is framed for the most part, as for, for most of its runtime, is is almost like a window into this world. Obviously we've seen ScarJo do similar things. Like when she started in Lost in Translation, it very much feels like a window into these people's lives and nothing is bolstered or thrown in your face for your benefit to help you to understand it. I don't think Glazer would have followed that in that. I what basically what I'm trying to say is I don't think Glazer would have put it in for audience benefit. And I feel like if she was listening to that in the first place, I don't think she would have any reason to turn it off. I think she must have been listening to it for some purpose. I feel like it would have been a greater admission of guilt if she had switched it off, if she couldn't bear to hear it. But she sits through it, and whether it's consciously or subconsciously, she absorbs that news. And from that point, she knows that may well have may well be a factor into her transition to humanity. But obviously, obviously, we can't know. But I think it, there's you're quite right in that it could have quite a large bearing on that change. Yeah. Again, as, as you mentioned, with most things in this film, it may have been nothing. Maybe Jonathan Glazer did just put it in there because he thought it looked great. Maybe they filmed it and it just worked for the pacing and the flow of the film. But I personally, I subscribe that nothing is in this film. There's nothing wasted. It doesn't seem Jonathan Glazer has never given me with in any in the three films he's done and anything else the the impression of a man who isn't in complete control of his work or his vision. He 
that's why I can't believe anything's wasted. Um, I think we'd be remiss to not mention the music in this dude, the score by mm. uh, Michael Levy. The score, this honestly, the score that they created for this is unreal. And I know it's a lauded score. It's a, it's a very acclaimed score soundtrack. It's, but what they did was, on, honestly, it is... Oh, I'm trying to think of the superlatives for it. Obviously, you think well, in, in the in the in the abyss when when the men are being lured in, that kind of like that theme that plays is just so. It's got a groove to it, but it's really haunting. I'm going to say it again. It's that horrible, unsettling, atmospheric groove that's got going on, and throughout the rest of the film, like the soundscapes that accompany it. I think for Micah, they honestly did such a good job. It's un- it's unreal how well this score fits the film. And that is the job of a score or a soundtrack. It has to complement and elevate for me, or at least complement, if not elevate, what's on screen. And this is a bloody damn good example of just that. Mm, it's a score that really takes its time. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't launch into anything big. Obviously, it wouldn't, wouldn't quite have worked the same way. But it's... Yeah. It's it's incredibly almost painfully shrill. And when those those really horrible sort of almost pinched strings come through when she's luring men in, it's so uncomfortable because it feels like it hasn't just been introduced. You don't feel the music starting. It feels like it's always been there in the very in the very like core at the bottom of the film, you feel like it's always been there and it's just been waiting. And when those strings come in, it just adds to the incredibly eerie atmosphere that just sort of when you, cause it's so repetitive when you hear it more than once, it just mm-hmm. spikes you with just a little bit more dread every time it comes in. And I think it's a really clever way of scoring a film by not being overbearing until you absolutely need to be. And it's so prominent yeah. when those strings come in. But beyond that, it's sort of just like a hum in the background. And you you don't see it coming and you don't realise that it's there the whole time. And I think it's incredibly clever. When when they need to use the score, they do it so... It's like so disconcertingly. Like it's an ang- anxiety level rises when those men are walking, especially the first time you hear it, when... Uh, the first dude who is up for harvesting, the chap in the Hibernian football sh- uh, club shirt, uh, he's removing his clothes and uh, and she's following her. And then suddenly, that that particular piece of music plays. I don't know the name of the the, the track. I was listening to it before I came on, but I, off, off the top of my head, I can't remember what it's called now. But um, I think it is called the room. I think it's called or something along those lines. When that plays, then then the anxiety levels just just start to rise. It's this disquieting, disturbing piece of music, which really, really works. It's got that, it's almost got like that classic, a throwback sci-fi feel to it. Um, but God damn, does it compliment those scenes? So where it makes, especially in the, it's a part of the film where we still have no idea what's going on. All we know is there is this female who is going around trying to pick men up. All we've seen before is that she has stripped somebody who looks like her of her clothes and essentially her identity. And even before that, somebody learns some phonics and the visual of an eye. And what, you know, and then, and this, what's going on? And suddenly this happens and, and then the music comes in or what, almost as if to say, and, and the score isn't used to kind of point and nod and wink at you to feel something. 
But that's the first instance where it comes in and it's like, right, you know, what, here we go. This, this, this is, this is what we've been leading to in those first, in that opening gambit. And it's, it's scary. It's some, it's somehow beautiful as well, that particular theme. But just listening to the whole thing, it's, it's something which I've, I've listened to quite a few times and I find it quite sometimes soothing to listen to when I haven't got the visuals on. I really do think it's like for an industrial album, it's a really, really great, great slab of music. And it's just another um, feather in the cap of this film. It's something mm. else that this film got right. And um, yeah, I think we had to mention that, but uh, eyes, Joseph, mm. tell me all about the eyes in this film. Well, I mean, it's from the very, very start. I mean, the, it's it's very clear that eyes are a very heavy motif in the film. I think while the the first five minutes are quite difficult to interpret, I always read it as almost the construction of this character and the way that their yeah. physical makeup is coming into play and the way that the eye appears right at the end as all of these sort of circles line up and as light starts to displace through darkness. And it, it very much seems like the very first instance that we see of this character whether we know it or not is through her eye and it's obviously you've got to mention that sort of universally eyes are the window to the soul and even though our lead doesn't quite have a soul we're led to believe so because she has eyes and they're very heavily pointed out at the start it's an Mm -hmm. indication that maybe the fact might not be so true and human beings can be quite sort of devoid of character and kindness and culture despite their genetic makeup. And it's, it's, it keeps in with the theme that the film wants to keep pushing is that your character, your personality, who you are and what you do, it's not genetic. It's while it uses it as quite a heavy motif as the, because it's the very core of what human beings are. Every human being, at the very least, has has or is born with eyes, and it dis- it sort of defies the predisposition that human beings are supposed to act as as such, um, and that makes way for our lead to gather some humanity on her travels and the way that she learns, despite not being built in a way that almost advocates for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they say uh, it's fairly well known that when you're trying to gauge somebody's emotional reaction to something, you look them in the eye, you, you find out what they're doing with their eyes. Where, where did they look at a moment of hearing this news? And all that? So the eyes, like you say, are a gateway to the soul and they give a lot about you as well. They give a lot of information about you almost unknowingly. And we start with that, kind of like almost yeah the creation like the birth scene if you will mm. at the be- at the beginning of the film later on the motorcyclist you know he's checking uh the female from all angles but then he inspects her eyes he looks close and we get that close-up shot of her eye which we see a few times so we're led to believe again there's something there he's looking for something there and one of my favorite shots of the entire film is again it respects about the eyes it's after uh, and I know and I will mention this scene as well. But after she has taken the the, the man who with the uh, the facial disfigurement uh, back to the house, um, he's we we we're led to believe that he's going to be harvested. 
she's she she leaves the room and she's looking at herself in the mirror at the house and she's got these kind of like tired looking eyes, wide eyes with that kind of classic almost like film noir lighting with that sheet of just light across her face where the rest of her is in shade. I love that. It's another lingering shot in a film full of these lingering shots. I found that beautiful. The fact that she is now looking at herself, she's looking into her own eyes as, we, as we've seen other people do to her. She's, you know, she's seeing what's behind her eyes. She's questioning herself. It, so, so it would seem. And that's one of my favorite. I was every time I watched that film, I, my, I'm using my little eyes and I'm studying every like aspect of just her face and her eyes in that scene. I am now doing what the motorcyclist was doing. And the, the idea that the eyes are like say the, the junction, the gateway into the soul is uh, it's, it's a metaphor which we've heard before. And I don't think it's overdone in this film. I think it's done very, very cleverly in this film. And she, we mentioned that she picks up the, uh, and this is an, uh, we're talking about humanity and tapping into this now. When she picks up um, the the guy who just wants to go to Tesco's, man, he just wants to go to Tesco's <laughs> and get a chocolate bar. That sequence is then that's that's it, isn't it? That's pretty much the moment where she realizes that you know she's what 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 is she, what why is she doing what she's doing, and is there another way? Yeah, yeah, it's. Um... Especially when she's looking herself in the mirror, it's very much a self interrogation, really. And she's sort of she sees in herself what what she thinks she possibly can be. And with the man with the facial disfigurement, she finds in herself whether she was feigning it or not. She finds genuine kindness because, and obviously later on, it's it's repaid and she's offered kindness in return. But it's almost unprompted, and the fact that she's so willing to let him go shows immense progress for her in figuring out who she is or trying to develop a new version of herself. It's a very poignant moment in the film where when you see him running away, you see him running through the field. That's the very, for me, at least that was the moment I was like, right, there is a change here. This is going to go in a very different direction to the way that it was going beforehand. That is the change, but well, I mentioned up top that for me, there wasn't like a moment necessarily with the female that really signaled to the audience that here we go. This is where I change. It's that moment where she's not in shot, which changes it because we're led to believe that, you know, she, he, he's going into the pool and that's the end of it. But hold on. Well, she, she, he leaves with her. You know, she's mm. had a change of heart here. So that I, I love that. And, the and the way it's Adam Pearson is the actor who uh, plays who plays the uh, the dude in the film. He has a neurofibromatosis, and he's and he's um, does an awful lot of charity work and an awful lot of work to um, help highlight this um, this illness and bring awareness to it and raise money for it. And I think the way that he was portrayed in this film was was very very well done. The sense that he's like he, he he's he's almost like his autobiographical at the time when he's like I only go out at night because you know presumably people people aren't very nice to him. Yeah. Um, we, that's that's the kind of vibe that we got, and you know she's she's questioning him on whether he gets lonely because he doesn't he's never had a girlfriend and 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 she says that he has beautiful hands and you know he could, and she he lets she lets him touch her face and she said she takes him to his place as well but it's a really tender moment and then when 
when they are stripping naked and Scarlett Johansson's character, the female, sorry, is stripping down, the other guys are like entranced by it. Do you know what I mean like this is this beautiful woman who is you know who they're assuming they are going to you know whatever they think they're going to get they're going to get whereas whereas this guy he's he he's still kind of he can't bring himself to look at her not through any kind of revulsion but he doesn't feel it's right I assume that's how I mm. interpret it he was like he he felt uncomfortable in the moment and there was that as well like she'd seen in this guy this the suffering this man's been that he's not he's not there for the same reason that the other guys were. And as it, so as it turns out, he's allowed to, he's allowed to, he's been set free as well. And the shot of him walking uh, through the field was like that kind of redemption and escape. And it then sets up that third act. But I liked, I, I thought the way that they handled that in the film was brilliantly done. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I agree. I mean, he, he serves as, almost the first person that she can identify as a real human being, I feel. Mm. While all of the other men that she ensnares, obviously, I mean, it seems pretty easy for her, to be fair. Um, and they're all quite similar in approach and personality, whereas he is finally, you know, a glimpse into real humanity for her. And while she she begins to see and understand yeah. what it is to be a human person. He's the very first example of which she can really see who she can be. And I think that's quite a gorgeous thing. Cause obviously while she reflects on herself in the mirror, she, I think she sees a lot of her potential in him as a character, as he's much more kind and almost nervous. Most of the time it's a, it's a glimpse into what, into a very different side of humanity than she's used to seeing. And she is at that moment that she is, she is looking under the skin of, of this man who she's let into her, her, the van because, and by that, I mean, he said, I only go out at night because people only see me. They, they see how I look physically and they don't like it. And they, they're mean. She sees beyond that. And that is, I find, I find that beautiful. And again, it, it kind of plays into the title of the film, Mm-hmm. under the skin we see what's under her skin and she sees beyond that she sees under she sees beyond that she sees obviously the goodness and uh but in this man's heart and her soul which i find to be actually quite heartwarming in a film like you say which is quite bleak um mm-hmm. but uh was there any and i guess another major thing to mention about the film is it's something which has get spoken about an awful lot and we know we've mentioned that the a lot of the the men who are in this film end up they end up um, totally naked walking through this uh room but scarlett johansson as well i think i read that for 40 percent of the film she's either partially naked or naked <laughs> and that was the big part of that's a big part of the film and scarlett johansson's come out herself and said that you know none of this was i didn't feel that it was unnecessary otherwise i wouldn't have done it uh, and the way it's done is it's very tastefully done and it feels necessary you know, I'm sure some people will go into the film and be like, oh, this is the film where Scarlett Johansson gets naked. Wicked. But the film <laughs> never goes out to be like that. And mm. I think that those moments as well are, they're beautifully shot, but they have meaning to the film as well, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I'm, 
I wouldn't expect it of Glazer anyway, but it never uses nudity in the way that you'd expect it. I mean, the film might have bombed the box office, but if you told the general populace that Scarlett Johansson is stark naked in it, they would have shot up the box office, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, they but, would have. <laughs> but, I Humanity. Mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> holding up the mirror. What are you doing here? But it's, yeah, I mean, it's always in keeping with the film's taste and atmosphere. And I think the eerie running sort of tension that permeates the film keeps it from feeling unnecessary because it's a, it makes her character, you know, weaponize her sexuality and rope men in, in like quite an easy way to be fair. And B to show that humanity is, is obviously skin deep. Obviously we don't know how deep her skin physically runs but it's yeah it's a it's just it's nudity is a way of really peeling back layers and showing people at what should be their very most vulnerable for the men it is the case but for her our protagonist it's her it's almost her superpower yep and you mentioned that the kind of like self-interrogation when she's looking at her eyes in the mirror the scenes of her looking at her, her body, a naked body in the mirror, also at time feel like that as well. And this is this is before the uh, attempted sex scene later on, um, when she's she's kind of studying herself. But it's never kind of gratuitous, or it never feels like it's for the you know the the male gaze or anything like that. It you know as you mentioned, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't pin Glazer as the kind of guy to be like, right, let's just use as an excuse for this. But it was done in a tasteful way, and it it, it it helped the character's growth and it helped us, I say relate to the character more, but it's again, it's her finding out more about herself. And because we know she sees herself as at the end, when she's looking at the mask she's been wearing, which is the face that we know of Scarlett Johansson. Mm. We know that these, this species is just a pure black being. So it's almost like she's just, you know, interrogating the human body without any kind of over sexualism there. Yes, she's fully naked, but it's not like she's, she's not standing and kind of like touching parts of herself. It's just using her eyes to t- absorb that information. And it's another, it's another moment or moments in this film, which I think they nail because again, in the hands of a, uh, I dare I say lesser director, those scenes could have been, um, they could have come off a lot worse well, they couldn't mm-hmm. have been as sensitive as they needed to be. So I think Glazer, I think Glazer absolutely nailed what he, he wanted to do with this film. And um, was there any other moments or sequences or parts that you wanted to shout out? Mm, let me think about it. <laughs> um, Other than the whole film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think... I think, I mean, the most striking part of the film to me, obviously we've already mentioned it, but it's the way that she's dragged out of the lake at the start. It's, um, mm-hmm. I yeah, think yeah. it's, it's an easy moment to forget. I think when you come to the end of the film on first watch, but obviously when you start a film with finding the, what well, the corpse of what looks like Scarlett Johansson's character and for her to be so quickly replaced, it offers the, in- the immediate inkling in the film that whatever happens here, it's easily replicable and whatever happens here on from the perspective of whoever has created her, that it's, it doesn't mean anything in their plight. 
but obviously as we come to learn and we come to understand the character, it means a lot to us as a, as an audience and to her as a character, but to them, the, I don't know, the corporation, if you want to call it, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, you know, another day at work isn't it. Yeah. And I think that's a good uh, point to mention that it is quite easy to forget that first scene because it's not, because you mentioned, you brought it up earlier on, but it is something which given the, odd bizarre surreal you know insert synonym here like feeling of this film it's quite easy to forget that the film start once we get past that kind of those creation birth scenes the film starts with that you know, a, a random guy finding a what seems to be like a prone body of a female and putting her in the back of a van and then what happens after that as well it sets up it, it's pretty much saying hey this is this is what you can expect from this film. And by the end of the film, that is almost what happens. You know, she's, she's taken her identity to begin at the end. The motorcyclist was, would have found her and probably done the same to her. So it's a really striking way to start the film as well. After having such a strange opening where, I mean, the, the, the low, the opening credits are low key to start with. It's literally just uh, the, uh, the names, the director and that just, you mm. know, left, left of center, there we go. Black screen, white text. And then we've got about 10 seconds of just a black screen and nothingness. Mm. A, little white dot, a little white dot appears and then we see the creation, as you like, like you mentioned, of, of the eye. But then when we get into like the more um, standard uh, visuals of what we expect, I look, there's a road, that's earth, right, I'm here. So some, somebody's just grabbing somebody out of a lake. It really does start with a bang and it's, it's a film which pulls no punches in that sense where it's not here to make you feel it's not here to make you feel settled or get you settled in or make you feel comfortable before introducing the narrative and the characters it just starts with this utter mystery and just continues to have a mystery without ever really having the never never really wanted to unravel that mystery this is just this is an absolute this is what's happening here you go just absorb this and i think it's pertinent point to mention actually that it is something to forget, quite easy to forget, considering everything else that goes on in this film. And I mean, because my first thought of this film is, like you mentioned earlier on, like the the floating like skin sack mm. in that pool is that's the thing I think of during this film is the kind of ten, the tender moment before of the the first two victims in this pool. They're kind of like floating, almost in like purgatory state. Totally, they're, they're naked. They're looking at each other from across a void we have no concept of um, distance or anything like that here but they managed to kind of touch hands and then the other guy he's just kind of got, like gets vacuumed from behind and mm. the the music the accompanying music with the visual of like this skin and face just yeah. like just floating in the water it looked a bit like a windows 95 screensaver <laughs> it was <laughs> Really, really oh, bizarre. Yeah, now you've seen, now you've seen that you can't unsee it. Oh but... no, I'm not <laughs> going to be able to scrub that from my mind, mate. <laughs> I might. I wonder. If, I wonder if I can Google those old screensavers, and I'm going to have that. <laughs> like, oh, it's it's that poor Hibs fan or whoever it was. But that that's the most striking image of this film for me. But other than that, you mentioned up top about like, the female. I think. I mean, Scarlett Johansson. I, I don't know if you, you may disagree with me vehemently here, but I think she is still underrated as an actress. The one, the, an actress who in the same year, last year, therefore nominated for two awards for her acting, for Marriage Story and for the other film, which I can't remember. But she's a, Scarlett is a wonderful actress, 
But I think too many people just see her now as, you know, she's a woman. She's the MCU actress where before that she was pulling in great performances. And you may disagree with me there, but I still think to an extent Scarlett Johansson is a slightly underrated actress now. No, and, and performances like this pr- prove that. I mean, this is, I think she's great in this. People see it as minimalist, but she gets so much across with, you know, so little almost, but um, sorry. Yeah. I think she's underrated to an extent. Yeah, mate. I'm, I'm with you strong on that. It's a shame that she's, you know, she said to sort of said a few problematic things in the past because she is yeah. honestly, I think she might be one of the better performers working at the moment. I mean, like you said, being nominated twice for marriage story and Jojo rabbit. I mean, marriage story was, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you. I, um, I, I, Marriage Story was one of my favourites of the year that that came out. And it was my favourite, yeah. Yeah, it's still, it's still driven by its performance. I mean, obviously, I love Noah Baumbach anyway, but Adam and Driver and Scarlett Johansson just carry that film, and her yeah. talent is, is, it's quite, it's undermined by her work in the MCU, even though she is great in that, and I'm actually really looking forward to Black Widow. Yeah. It's... um you know, I I can't help but feel like her talents as a very raw performer, as we've seen under the skin, has been slightly undermined by her Hollywood presence and her appearance in so many blockbusters. Because I feel I don't want to undermine Hollywood as just you know like like the conglomerate, but really? I th- yeah, I think I I don't want to say she's worth more than Hollywood because she's. Obviously, Hollywood is pretty tipped up, but she's she's a performer that is versatile enough to make a role like this work. And I firmly believe this is one of her better performances, simply because of how almost robotic and soulless she can make herself appear, especially in those in the sort of first 20, 30 minutes. It's absolutely stunning. And it's and it's no like there's no slight on the MCU because the MCU houses some of the best talent in mm. film you know and look they get paid well but they and i'm sure they have a great time on set but they also they're there to do a job they put in good performances they are there to do a job based on what the director and the script tells them to do and for the most part you know everybody puts in a good shift and that's no no problems there but outside of it yeah there's there's so much more for scarlett Johansson. she could do something like rough night which I didn't think it was bad, that bad, but most other people tell me I'm horribly wrong there. <laughs> uh, or then, but then she can be like uh, her. I say her performance in her. I mean, come mm, on, I mean that oh, film's yeah. great oh, God, anyway. I not mention her. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah, dude, um, just incredible. Even though she's not present for most of that film, she's exactly. just such an incredible presence in it. Yeah, she's not present, but she has that <laughs> presence. And um, and then she's and then going back way back, like Lost in Translation, Vicky Christina, um, and bringing it forward a marriage story i thought she was wonderful and even in the films which weren't well received like your ghost in the shell i still think scarlett johansson is she has that presence and aura and she brings i don't want to say respectability because that's again negative on that film but i think she elevates certain films even if the film isn't great because she always gives her all she's a consummate professional and see, I mentioned on the drive episode I did with my friend Bespin that Scarlett Hansen to me falls into the Ryan Gosling category. What a beefcake of a man he is. But I also <laughs> yeah. think he's underrated. I think that someone like Ryan Gosling, I know he, look, he's pushing for it, but until he has the Oscar in his mantelpiece, even when mm. I still think people won't, they won't get the credit they deserve. And Scarlett Hansen to me feels like she needs 
an Oscar. And, that, and I know the Oscars aren't the be all and end all. And some people don't put any craft stock in them, but it's, I think she needs that award for people to stand up and be like, do you know what? We've been sleeping on her for so long. Same as someone like Gosling as well. But, um, and I hope, and I think that, and I think she'll get one one day, just like I think Ryan Gosling will do. But I think Marriage Story, I mean, I thought she was great. I thought she was going to win for Marriage Story. She didn't, but I thought she was nailed on for that. But I, I love when, when her name is attached to something. I mean, Black Widow doesn't interest me, doesn't excite me, but I'll go and see it for Florence Pugh. Absolutely. Oh, and yeah, also absolutely. for Scarlett Johansson, man. Yeah, man. I mean, she's an incredible performer. And as we can see in this, she's definitely versatile enough to balance the ass kicking of the MCU as well as something that's a lot more thoughtful and introspective, like under the skin. And I think she, without a performer like her to carry this, she has, she can portray an almost emptiness to her character that really complements the emptiness of the sprawling vistas of Scotland that really make this film work. And I, I think there are, you know, I think I wouldn't say that there's no other actress or actor that could perform this well, but she was certainly a brilliant choice, especially post MCU in way of sort of proving herself as a really formidable mm-hmm. performer. Yeah. It's almost, it was almost like playing against the perceived type at yes, that point as yeah. well. And it's, it, it's a great casting decision and it goes to show that, Hey, look, she's a fabulous, actor. Look, look beyond the fact that I think that she's, clearly so uh, such a beautiful woman look beyond that and realize that she's a fabulous actress as well come on everyone come on world we're going to set up a we're going <laughs> to set up a hashtag for this but um so i wanted to skin then mate it's um haunting beautiful uh take on social realism there's an awful lot going on there apparently there's a tv series in the works wow can that work can it work oh Oh, see, I think the one of the troubles that I have, one of the only troubles I have with the film is that I feel like the pacing won't quite work for everyone. And if you're trying to extend something like this into a TV series, you'd either have to rush the development of the lead character, or it would have to be incredibly short. I can't, I, I don't know. I don't think it could work the same way there would have to be a lot of fundamental changes to the story and the performances and the character development and all of it for it to work i'm not entirely adverse to it i think you know that i've been surprised before and i'm happy to be surprised again Mm -hmm. but in the current if it was a mere adaptation with without a lot of you know extra stuff on top of it i worried that they wouldn't be able to make it work for pacing's sake yeah, I mean it can. That they, they can. It can be done. I mean, I watched um, Devs recently. That I mm. class that as like hard sci-fi, like totally, t- absolutely not mainstream TV. But it, it, within eight episodes, I think it was eight episodes, it told its story. It made me care for the characters. That really diving too deep into them, the characters were fleshed out and developed. But there, it was very hard sci-fi, similar to this, where it, it's it, when you think of. You hear Scarlett Johansson is an alien luring men into a van to kill them. You think, oh, you probably don't think it's going to be anything like the film you get. So mm. that's what I kind of class that harder edge. But would it, could it work? It depends. It depends who's on board. I'm not sure if Glaze is on board. Um, it depends who, what the story is about. I'm assuming it would follow another, um, another alien for want of yeah. a better term. 
uh, it wouldn't just be uh, the female from this film and you know would it be set before would it be set after i mean that's kind of the point is the story has been told for me yeah so is it if it's set before that doesn't necessarily interest me because i know we're going to get this film if it's set after this film okay right was the sequel broken was was the chain damaged enough that something you know that that there we now have massive changes to this to how uh this species view the humans have they had to have they had to adapt now there there's a story to be told but uh, i just wanted to get your opinion on how they could take this kind of this haunting film is that eight word again and make it into a longer form narrative but you mentioned that the the pacing of this film was one of the things which could be bothersome or was bothersome was there anything else which wasn't up to the standard of the rest of this film Honestly, I think I think the pacing might be it. I think the genetic makeup of the film is quite well put together. It's not a particularly exciting film by yeah. sort of generic standards, but it's something that really grips you. And I think narratively, it's so strange that you can easily latch onto it. I'd put this film in a bracket, like, because you mentioned devs, I'd put it in a similar bracket to the likes of Garland's Annihilation or oh. even, even a film like... Um, Neon Genesis Evangelion's The End of Evangelion. Just yeah. a film that's so strange and out there and such so brilliantly written that you couldn't possibly conceive coming up with an idea like that. Just it's so you do you know what I mean? It helps yeah, no, to, I do. it helps to facilitate the the visuals and the makeup of the place where she consumes her victims, something that's so beyond human comprehension. It's beyond human comprehension, even for me that these films can even be written in such a compelling way. And for some, for a strange idea as this to work so well on the big screen. I think that, I think Garland is a director that could probably manage the TV series if anyone, Mm -hmm. but I think under the skin as a film is so strange and brand new i don't think it's a style or a story that could very easily be replicable i think this is an incredibly individual piece of art and i don't i don't think anyone's going to try too hard to replicate it because i think most people would assume they're probably not going to do it much better yeah uh, we mentioned uh garland and it was obviously, obviously at the end, and this film was uh, what five years before Annihilation. Mm. Now I watch the end of this film, and I can you can I can see like the similarities. I'm sure they were inadvertent, but between the alien species of this film and the incomprehensible alien species at the end of Annihilation, the the reflection, the refraction mm. at the end of that film, it, it's um if you've seen those films, it's almost impossible to not to not kind of. Uh, for a millisecond flashback and think, Oh, that reminds me of that film. Annihilation is unreal. It's so good. And that's a naughty shout. Actually, Alex Garland, if anyone was going to take this on, that wasn't Jonathan Glazer. Alex Garland has the sensibilities to do it. I think, and he has whatever goes on in his brain. I don't know, but that's what he could tap into to make this work. I know he's a very specific type of director who he absorbs himself into his work for months and months before he even puts pens to paper would he be able to take on something which was created by a, a similar mind like Jonathan Glazer? I'd have no doubt in his ability to do it is whether or not he'd want to do it. I know he's got a few yeah. things, uh, a few irons in the fire, which I'm so excited for, but um, yeah, I, there was nothing in this, which didn't work for me. I can totally see why people would watch this film and be bored. would think it was rubbish. would think it would artsy fartsy, but no, I, I get that. And that's probably my only negative of the film is that 
I I know it's not for everybody. And every time I watch it, in the back of my mind, I think if I was watching this for someone else, I I can I can I know certain people like who, who I have watched films with who would just not like this film. It's not that they wouldn't give it a chance. It just, yeah. it just wouldn't resonate with them whatsoever. Uh, so that, other than that, no. As I mentioned, there's nothing in this film which I, I think was put in there for, you know, to pad it out. I don't think there's any kind of fluff in this film at all. It, it works. The word, the question, though, the final question I have for you, though, my friend, is that it's been the word's been bandied about about this film. In fact, it's on the front cover. Of the it's on the front of the Blu-ray masterpiece. Do oh, you subscribe to that? Is is this a master? Doesn't mean it's your favorite film of all time, or even mm. in the top ten. But would you class this as a masterpiece? It's it's hard for me to say, um, given that I haven't seen any of any other Glazer film. I have been eyeing up Birth, but I haven't been able to get around to them yet. I think that when it's, I'm going to get too deep here. I'm going to delve into that, the definition of masterpiece. I think, given the reaction to this film and the way that it's structured and the way it so effortlessly makes a strange story so compelling and so engaging, I think this may well be Glazer's masterpiece. I think it's an achievement in itself in the film landscape that such a strange and artistic film could do so well, can hook in such a, such an A-list actor and sort of bolster Glazer as an incredibly thoughtful director. So I think, yeah, on that level, I think you could call this a masterpiece because of how brilliantly it's able to juggle all of its parts so well. It's cinematography, it's story, it's writing, it's score, all of it. It's, it's all absolutely fantastic and it all weaves together in such a brilliantly natural way that there's a lot of films out there to struggle to do. So I think short answer is probably yes. Yeah, the the, the divisiveness, divisiveness is hard for me to say, nature of this film, that it gets people talking. And we are we're eight years removed from the release of this film. And under the skin, every time I've mentioned it to people, it elicits something. Joseph obviously is a massive fan like myself. And I know a few people like my buddy, John Burke, big fan of this film. I do know a few people who don't just don't like this film, but it gets people talking. And that doesn't mean it's a masterpiece, but it's enduring. It's almost a decade out and it's allure. It's um, mystery, it's mystery. And, you know, like I mean, it, the, the divisive nature of it endures. People still talk about the film. It hasn't been forgotten. So Glazer certainly created something. He's created something. He's certainly created film. He's created art here. So I, I'm on your level there. I think, you know, when, when all the, when all the um, parts fall into place, like they have done here, what more can, what, and, and it hits me like that. It stays with me. This film lingers with me and it has done since I watched it the first time. And every time I've rewatched it, and certainly the other night, I still can't get the floating skin sack, the, the, the windows 95 screensaver out of my head, the kid on the beach. There's so many images. I can't get out of my head. And just the thought of like, what is it all about? Like the meaning of the abstract, what's going on? I still can't shake that. So as an affecting piece of film, I think you're right. Maybe, maybe it can be put in that bracket. Um, but it's, it's a discussion. It's an interesting discussion to have for people. I haven't seen birth. I hear it's again, quite dis- dis- divisive. It's got Lauren Bacala in it, though. I have seen sexy beast with Ray Winston. Very much enjoyed that film. Really like that film, but I haven't seen birth, but um, well, I think that wraps up the under the skin episode unless there was anything else you wanted to touch upon dude nah mate i think we i think we covered it all just on overall as a basis i think it's a really brilliantly 
divisive and artistic film. Like you said, it makes sense that there weren't so many people that were too hot on it, but I think that's the magic of such a strange and twisted and peculiar film is that at the very least it makes you think and at the very least you you connect with it on some level whether you love it or you hate it you are connected at some degree that's a perfect way to end off this discussion what a wonderful discussion it was joseph thank you so much for giving your time on this evening to talk about under the skin we mate. i very much appreciate it please the pleasure was all mine no and we mentioned uh you've got your ventures online you've got the podcast starting up Tell everyone now, where can I find you and where can I find the pod when it, yes. when it launches? Yes, the uh, the introduction episode of the Big Screen Book Club is available now on all of your good podcast streaming networks, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the like. And our very first episode uh, covering Little Women will be out at the end of the month on those very same platforms. If you'd like to stay up to date, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at BSBookPod. Tweet. go and check those out and go and support the work that joseph does joseph's a very fine writer he's worked for many outlets written for many outlets so please do go and support that work um go and support the podcast as well joseph you've just heard he gets film he knows film he can talk <laughs> clarice is a fabulous writer clarice is wonderful as well the two of them together to me gold dust so I'll be, i will be checking out and supporting as well and i honestly hope you guys do as well uh, if you want to find me what i watched tonight.co.uk what i watched tonight across the major socials instagram twitter letterbox you'll find my face on there you lucky devils if you like what you've just heard if you know somebody out there who likes this film or is indifferent or just has an interest in these kind of art films let them know that we've just spoken for the last hour and 40 odd minutes about Under the Skin. We'd love to hear your thoughts and get in contact with both of us. Keep it civil. Keep it polite. We're film fans. We're not here for that. We're here to talk film in the best possible way. And if you're really feeling generous, please give me five stars on your podcast provider of choice. It helps this show grow. It helps get more listeners. And it's all about that engagement with you guys out there. If you didn't like it, just keep it to yourself. Don't tell anyone (laughs) about that. But uh, one last time, Joseph, honestly, mate, thank you so much. Mate, thank you so much for having me. No worries. Everyone, thank you for listening once again. And until next time, from me, see ya.